And now the show is back for another week of money. I'll stop singing intro songs when I stop feeling so lazy. But today I sing again to start the show. That's it. <laughs> it was going somewhere and then it stopped. Hi, Dan. You know how we always wanted a mute, or a cough, sorry, a cough button? Sure. Yeah. Uh, can we get some auto-tune? I don't know. I was a child actor slash musical theater person back in the day. What was your big production? A Christmas Carol. I was Tiny Tim. But I was a husky second grader, though. So, like, behind the scenes, this is pre-fat shaming. Um, mm. They called me Tubby Tim. <laughs> That's true. Uh, no, wait. I, I mean, what was the age range of the cast here? No, this was like professional theater. Like so this you, was like you, literally professional theater. You didn't have adults calling you Tubby Tim. No, I did. It was 1984 or five. So like you could be like, hey, fatso. Like that was 1984. Oof. Yeah. And I wasn't that husky. But husky I'll just enough. say this. I played youth football and I wasn't allowed to run the football. Oh, and so anyone who's played youth football knows that it means I had an X on my helmet because I was a, a alignment. Hello, everybody. It's the Pete the Planner experience. <laughs> Dame, how are you this week? I am ready to go. I I have been on this caffeine super highway recently where I've got it dialed in. La yesterday, though, I pushed the limits a hair too far. Uh, a 2 p.m. giant cold brew. Ooh, bad idea. Was that I, the uh, the thing from the fridge? Miguel, yes. Yeah, Miguel, that's what I... Miguel. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, here's what we got on the show this week. Why Washington won't fix student loan, student debt plans that overload families. We're going to talk about that. It's an article from the Wall Street Journal. Are you a daily, you're a daily reader of the Wall Street Journal, right? Yes. Yes, I am. I, I read the New York Times, um, not necessarily for economic news and certainly not for opinion news. Here's the thing. I love the Times, but I, I never read their columns. Like, I never read their opinion sections. I just have no interest in them. On, and, and, and sometimes, they, of course, they do have different sides of issues. I don't care about any of them. I just want to read the news because I think they do good reporting. So, Okay. So you're not necessarily just going there for, uh, uh, to, to reread the AP posts you're going there for they're reporting the journalists that are still employed by the times yeah. no they've a lot of good uh a lot of good ones i mean it's yeah yes but but i have no interest in the opinion columns that being said i am an opinion columnist in other publications <laughs> so that's super weird super super weird anyway uh wall street journal we're going to talk about that then we got some great emails this week people email us at ask pete at pete so i think we've got an inheritance question Right. Yes. And then the other one we were going to do is uh, uh, my employer doesn't have a good 401k question. Yes. Awesome. Anything you want to cover before we get this party started? Uh, don't you have something you have to do after the show, which is going to make you want to speed through this? Hey, guys, we got to get this done fast. I have I, I have lunch today with one of my favorite people on the entire planet. You don't want to tell us who that is? My friend, you, Adam, my friend, Adam, so you, you better say it's Mrs. Planner. No, no. I said one of my favorite people on the planet. Oh, okay. He's he's on the list. Okay. We don't snuggle like Mrs. Planner and I used to. Okay, let's uh let's get started. And three, two, one. 
This week on the Pete the Planet Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how this lovely radio show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And boy, you did that this week. We've got a ton of emails to, to work our way through. Joining me as always, co-host of the Pete the Planner Experience, Damian Dunn, same last name, no relation, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line. Dame, good day. Good day, Pete. Earlier this week, you sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal. Do uh, you think someone's tried to come up with like, this is the Main Street Journal? I'm, someone's had to have, has a blog or a, like a, a pamphlet called the Main Street Journal, right? You, there has to be. It has to be. It has to be. Low-hanging fruit. Uh, the article is entitled, or is it entitled or titled? Titled, Why Washington Won't Fix Student Debt Plans That Overload Families. You know, if you step back from time to time and you look at really horrendous issues in, in our world, in our country, and you think, man, if we really wanted to fix that, we probably could. And then the weird, nasty question comes right behind that is, wait, do these people actually want to fix this? And that was the question being asked about the student loan crisis. And the, and the article goes on to make five really interesting points as to why this isn't really being addressed. And and Dame, you and I are not, this, this we've talked about this topic a lot, but what we're not necessarily talking about right now is wiping out student loan debt. We're talking about preventing new student loan debt, right? Yeah, yeah, and t totally. I mean, this is a, a fairly unique problem because the people who really care about it the most are people who are currently saddled with the debt that they took out and they see the need for changes to be made. However, parents who have kids that want to go to school, they want to send their kids to school, don't want these changes to be made because this is their emergency exit. This is how they're going to make it happen. They want to make sure that the money is there and available so they can send Junior off to college to get that education that maybe they didn't have or they think he may be entitled to. So it's a really complicated uh, issue that we're facing. And then on top of it, We've got a government who really doesn't want to do anything about it. Yeah, I do have to say a couple of things. One, uh, and, and we we actually noted this last week, we don't set out to be cynical. Like we don't, this is not, like we're not setting out to be cynical, but we are trying to examine some of the issues behind the scene. I would also note, we are, we are also not going to oversimplify this issue. As you just said, this is really complicated because in some respects, solving the current student debt problem, people with current balances, makes it worse for people to come right that that's the weird part about this you can't solve one of the problems and have that solution solve the other problem because there's two distinct problems there's people who already have debt and the amount of debt people don't have that they will have and, and how problematic that can be to their lives so let's begin examining this wall street journal article dame what what are the primary reasons let's start with number one the number one reason why uh, Congress isn't doing anything to prevent the oodles and oodles of student loan debt yet to come. It, I feel like this should be a, a Letterman top five or top 10 list instead, but uh, we don't have Paul here, so we won't go that far. Sure. Uh, changes are a hard sell. Uh, people, as we just discussed, who need to take this money out don't want anything to change because solutions come in two flavors. Either they're going to cap the amount of money that people can borrow or they're going to tighten the requirements needed to borrow that cash. For folks who need it, 
neither of those things are acceptable or appetizing to them. So if the government wants to say, yeah, this is probably in your best interest, nobody wants to hear it because that's how they were planning on paying for school. Yeah, the this is in your best interest thing turns out doesn't fly. Even if it is theoretically in a person's best interest, I would also note, though, this is, and let's remove the, the government aspects of this. I believe in 2005 and 2006, this is what got so many people in trouble from a housing perspective, is that the housing industry stopped making that judgment of this is not in your best interest. And by the way, me saying not in your best interest as it relates to housing is not a mortgage joke. Um, but you know what I mean? Like underwriting requirements just went away and we're like, you shouldn't do this, but yeah, go ahead and do this. Uh, it's not for us to say what's in your best interest. I think President Obama might have actually had um, some suggestions or some a, a bill uh, kind of drafted up to say, okay, this is how we're going to change that. And they were going to tighten the requirements considerably. And I got smacked down pretty quick because Congress wasn't going to do anything with it. I know we're not talking about housing, but I do. This is like a hot button issue for me personally, not in my personal life, but of what I care about. Uh, I've long contended that the push for home ownership, uh, which is, uh, you know, cheered on by the government, is really self-serving with very little uh, examination of the ills of home ownership and how it makes it harder for other people. And so the, it's it's one of those moral hazards where there's no actual risk in it that the, the government is willing to accept for itself by constantly pushing the importance of homeownership. Speaking of the government making self-serving decisions, oh, yes. reason number two. Okay. Well, reason number one is, by the way, two reasons, and both of them are 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 mind-numbing, right? The idea that if you cap how much a person can borrow or tighten the requirements, that people aren't interested in that, but that would be a solution. Yeah. Uh, reason two, the PLUS loans have historically been money makers for the government, somewhere between $1 and $4 billion a year. If they were to cancel the PLUS program uh, entirely or make some changes to it, it would, well, what most people would consider a significant dent in revenue. However, to the government, what's a few billion here and there? the government just put money in crypto or nfts they'd be fine uh we should explain that that was a joke uh we should explain that we just said plus loans and we gave no context to that this article really is about the plus mm -hmm. program which is primarily for grad students and so anytime you further your degree you get an advanced degree beyond your undergraduate degree a bachelor's degree there's this weird escalation of well, this is definitely going to increase my income because now I'm smarter or whatever. I have more skills and knowledge. And so it becomes this escalation of commitment to that degree and to the borrowing. And that's why this gets so ugly. But to your point, that plus program is a moneymaker. And that's why the government is not looking to shut it down with two minutes left because I talk too much. What else do we have? Universities are going to fight these changes. Obviously, if somebody's going to turn off the spigot to unlimited funding, they're not going to like it. I think that actually might be the main reason because the universities so depend on this blank check around education. And I know, I mean, we have clients that are in this space and so hopefully none of them are angry by that, but it, it is, it does happen economically to be true. The fact that there are student loans available is what allows college costs to continue to rise. Yeah, entirely. If if, uh, if they knew they were only going to be able to get X number of dollars out of the vast majority of their students, 
you might see things change a little bit. Reason number four. Borrowers aren't often who Congress expected. So we see uh, numbers and numbers of folks going into grad school, getting advanced degrees. And even if they come out with a very good degree, uh, sometimes their debt can be two, three times more than what their annual salary is. And that is a very tricky place to be in. Yeah, that's interesting. Policy sometimes doesn't match the people it's intended to serve. I think we've learned that with the stimulus more than anything. Yeah. Totally. What else? Five, number five reason that uh, we aren't seeing changes in the student loan problem. Congress doesn't think it's important enough. You know, I will I will say in this one, there there's a there's a lot going on, a lot of plates spinning, a lot of plates have hit the floor. Um, I, I I buy this one though. I buy I buy the idea. I, it's actually a reasonable excuse um, because there's a lot of other urgent things. I do think this is a big problem, but I think when you compare it to all the other uh, fish to fry, so to speak, it's not that big of a problem. Yeah, uh, this in theory could be solved at home with the right amount of conversations. Let's talk something else after the break. We're talking about what to do with an inheritance from an investment perspective. That's an email that someone sent to askp to petetheplanner.com. We'll be back right after this. Okay. See, the caffeine's like at a good level. You know what I mean? I think you're riding the wave right now. I think you're doing well. I was uh, on a recruiting call uh, yesterday afternoon. Mm. Who are you gonna Who are you gonna go play for? Um, probably LSU now. Mm. You know what I mean? That was my Brian <laughs> Kelly, by the way. Um, okay. Um, no. Uh, you know we we, we we were growing here at these uh, these headquarters, and so uh, I was on a recruiting call yesterday, and I realized, you know, I told you about that cold brew I had at two. Um, it was at full force at five fifteen. <laughs> and Just I feel like the other end of the headset, the other person on the other end of the phone, I felt like there was smoke coming out of their phone because I was just like, <laughs> which is always fun when you're thinking about joining someone. Do we have a Glassdoor account? Because I'm hoping not. I think we do. Do we? Yeah, we do. Um, a couple of people left stuff on there. Glassdoor is weird for me, you know, and I want to talk about this. Sure. Glassdoor is weird for me. Because people go, and of course, they, Glassdoor has a lot of different functions, but one of them is just to check an employer if it's like a reasonable place to work, mm -hmm. right? And I get it. I mean, in the Yelp review culture we all live in, uh, I, I get it. I just, as an employer, I, I find it can be incredibly unfair. Now, I will say we have very positive reviews on ours, like no one's messed with us. But all it takes is one person who had a bad experience and maybe the bad experience was 1000% their fault. And then it, it blows up a lot of really hard. And that stinks because, and I know people have to consider that when reading those reviews, but I've read reviews of friends, companies that I happen to know those companies rather intimately for various reasons. And they are not representative of reality. It's a double-edged sword, man. I, and I think in today's day and age, you almost have to encourage it to, to have one and for people to participate. But and you have no control over that. You know, this made me think of like YouTube has done away with dislikes or at least listing the dislikes, right? right? Yeah. I, and at first I was like, yeah, okay, okay. And, and I, I say that as a content creator that I'm like, if someone randomly gives us a dislike for whatever reason, it's, it's, you, you see it and you're like, oh, 
It's like when we used to get iTunes reviews. We may get iTunes reviews. I don't even, I have not looked in two, since the pandemic. What do I really care? I don't need that sort of negativity in my life. But the, but then I started thinking this week about the YouTube reviews. You ever search like how to fix a, a flappy corker in a toilet or something, and then you find yourself on a crappy video, but then you look and it's like, like 3,000 dislikes, and you're like, oh, I should have avoided that. You can't avoid crappy how-to videos now. Did you really talk about toilet and crappy in the same sentence? I, I come from a plumbing family, okay. game. All right. I, I have more plumbing jokes than anyone. It was my entire childhood. Through 20 years old, my entire life was plumbing. I'd like your best five minutes of, of plumbing material sometime. Jameson, uh, listener, all-time best listener, right? Is that what we called him? What was his title? I'm sure he'll tell us. It says, uh, drives me crazy that part of Glassdoor uh, Yelp biz models is to shake down businesses and offer to use bad reviews or take bad reviews down if the business pays. Yeah, that stinks. That that does stink. Um, can I get, let's, can we go down a weird rabbit hole for a second? We're already got one foot in the hole. Let's go. All right. I wasn't going to do this, but now I have to do this. You've taken me to a dark place, people. Oh, Jameson says he's got the Chip Maxwell Lifetime Listener Achievement Award. That's true. He does. All right. So, Dame, you know I hate Yelp reviews like nothing else. Yep. Like I, I find them other than I love very critical McDonald's Yelp reviews. You can spend hours being entertained by those. Anywho. And I also don't like when people say anywho. So I'm sorry. I just said that. <laughs> One of my favorite restaurants in, in, in the area of which I live uh, is a certain place that I'm not going to mention. It doesn't matter. I have a few different restaurants I like. I like this one. I like the staff. I like the owner. I like the chef. I like them all. And no, it's not friend of the show, Neil. Okay? It's not that. Well, so we were there the other night and I was making reservations and I happened to look on their open table reviews just to like, oh, the reviews. Five-star review. So they're, they're five out of five stars. But last week, someone left a horrible review. And so I read the horrible review, and it made me so irrationally mad <laughs> that it ruined two days. Oh, man. Are, okay, now, here's, here's what's going to happen next. What I'm about to share with you will also make you irrationally mad, or you will question why I'm so irrationally mad. Are you going to read it dramatically like you were the person that, that uh, wrote no. it? No. Because it could get really um, misogynistic if I did. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just being honest. Right. Okay. This is from a, a person. We have dined at whatever many times in the past, but the experiences we had on this particular day were dismal. From the outset, the restaurant manager, who was also the hostess who seated us, was very sarcastic and unpleasant when I requested a different table than the one she initially showed us. She said that she would have uh, no hope of, uh, we would have no hope of talking at the new table because of the noise level. I said I didn't feel that would be a problem and that I really preferred to sit at the new table. She didn't reply, but her body language indicated that she was unhappy and that I, that I wanted to sit at the new table. I'm going to pause here. Sometimes I have asked for a different table. I'm just going to be honest. Not at this restaurant necessarily, but I have asked for a different table if it's a horrible, like you're right next to the kid. Like, yeah, I've asked for a different table. But I have no expectation that that request will be granted, especially in COVID times when they have a lot more to take into account 
then my dissatisfaction on the table. So I'm just going to put that there. Do you, do you agree or disagree? You, you buy that? I think that's a very reasonable outlook. Then it took our food an hour to arrive after we ordered it. Meanwhile, service at our table was minimal and we had to flag down the waiter whenever we wanted something. When the food finally arrived, I mentioned to the delivering server that we would need some compensation for our hour-long wait. The server did not reply. I'm pausing again. You are not entitled to compensation if your food took lo too long to get out. And, and I get that that's sort of culturally where we've gone down this path of like, hey, comp my appetizer or give comp my, my martini or whatever. I will continue because this is where it gets crazy. Oh. At the conclusion of the meal, I went to find the manager and I asked her for some compensation for our weight. She immediately became very nasty and in no uncertain terms said that our table had been treating the weight stuff, weight staff like dirt. Okay, I'm going to pause again. Based on what you've heard so far, it's conceivable that this person has treated the wait staff like dirt, is it not? Oh, yeah. They're not going to come out and say everything that they've done or said. I denied that because we had been more than polite with the wait staff. Uh, she said, there's no way we're going to get compensation. And that the restaurant owner then joined in to rudely and repeatedly deny us compensation. Another of my dinner companions went over to the owner to plead our case whereupon the owner used foul language to deny us any compensation. So now they, they're ganging up on the owner, another person in their party, to demand compensation. Uh, and I, anyway, it goes on. It just sort of... This drove me insane. Am I crazy for having that driving me insane, or am I just too close because I like the people? Um, I think you would have been right to have been upset by that, but two days? Two days, Pete. I think it might be a little too close to the fire on this one. I, I also, it's worth noting, I'm very stressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can send me over the edge. Are you going to go back and leave Waitstaff a, a very generous tip and and already did it? Apologize. Already did it. <laughs> already done. Did you apologize uh, on behalf of other? Uh... No, because I thought that's a good question. Um, I, I thought it would stress them out to even realize that it was out there. Oh, yeah. You know? Sure. I don't know what's wrong with me. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. I do have to get going. All right. Three, two. <laughs> Back on the Pete the Planner show, answering your money questions. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Wherever you're listening to this show, whatever affiliate you're listening to the show, thanks for listening. Hope you're having a good holiday season. Hope you're enjoying Wassel or candy canes, holiday canes, I don't know. Uh, dear Pete, oh, hello, Pete and Damien is what the email starts out. Dame, you got a little bit of love there, buddy. That's nice. I love your show. I'm a 57-year-old African-American divorcee with two adult daughters. I'm in. Oh, wait. Uh, ages 21 and 19. Both are in college. My oldest is graduating in May, and she secured a job with a major company in her field of study in her dream location, California, IA. She is coming out. Wait, do you think only old old guys like me say California? Like, isn't it like a dad thing? It's very possible. I think that's a generational thing. She's coming out of college debt free. That's fantastic. I mean, if people just want to honestly send us emails here and say my kid's coming out of college debt free all day long, do it. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. We will celebrate you. Uh, my youngest is a, in private school in Washington, D.C. That's fairly expensive, but she will also come out debt free. Come on. I always try to impart 
to them the practical wisdom you and Dame share on the show. Now, this is like, I mean, watch out, Jameson. We may have the new uh, listener of the year here. Yes. They both have inherited $25,000 from the grandparents' estate. They cannot have the money until they are 35 years old, which turns out, uh, because I paid attention in school, that's also the year, or the age you can become president of the United States, mm -hmm. which these people seem like they're on track. Here's my question. What is the best investment strategy to grow this money for them? I would like to, uh, them to use this money as the cornerstone of their retirement nest egg. I'm looking at a 40 to 50 year investment horizon. I'm fairly risk tolerant given the time horizon. Thank you. Also, is this the type of advice that is given at Hey Money? A good question. Uh, hey Money, of course, is our, our consumer service where we help people solve financial problems. Actually, truth be told, Dame, this is not something we would answer at Hey Money. No, because it's going to get really close to specific investment advice. So we could talk in generalities, but uh, we couldn't get super specific. She says, do not use her last name. And I will not use her last name. I won't even use her first name because it's it's actually a unique first name. So I'm not going to do that either because I'm not trying to out anybody. Yeah. Um, man, what a, gr what a great mom. <laughs> right? Totally. Can we start there? Yeah, uh, they've done a lot of stuff right. Uh, getting their kids through school debt-free. She wants to use this inheritance to really just solidify their future before they even really get started with their future. So good on them. Do you ever think as an adult, you, you do the right thing and you do it because it's the right thing to do and, and you benefit from it, but it's still nice for an outside person to fully acknowledge what you've done and not because you need your ego stroked, but it's just validation. And so like in this situation, I look at this, I'm like, Hey friend, I'm not going to say your name. You, you did it. You did it. I mean, this, this is what I want to do. You've done what I want to do. And I appreciate that. So Dame, how, okay, here's what I don't understand. They can't access the inheritance until they're 20 or 35 years old. Is she insinuating that she can control how it's invested now? Uh, if she's the trustee, she might be able to. Mm. Okay. So uh, they, the kids are, she said, 21 and 19. So we've got some time. We got some uh, time until they actually get access to the money. But as the, the mom says here, she would love this to be a cornerstone for years to come. How do you begin to look at this? How do you begin to break this down? I would use this as a tremendous teaching opportunity. And it sounds like they've already had a number of those growing up. But I would just use this. To take the next step, I would get them involved with uh, some sort of financial professional, even if it's just for one initial meeting, to have somebody sit across the table from them and explain to them what it means to uh, leave this money alone and what it will look like by the time they get ready to retire and how that will help them not only once they get to retirement, but along the way as well, because it may free up cash here and there for them and various times when they're trying to accomplish other goals. Uh, it's a it's a tremendously unique situation that the vast majority of us won't ever have to deal with. But if it's used correctly, it could uh, spill over for generations to come with this kind of guidance. Okay, let's go to my favorite thing to do called how many times is this going to double if done correctly? Go for okay. it. How many times is this going to double? There is a rule in investing. It's a concept, but it's actually called the rule of 72. And the way the rule of 72 works is that you take the rate of return you earn on an investment and you divide uh, you divide that number by 72 or you take 72 and divide by the number of uh, your rate of return. And then that will tell you how many years it takes to double your money. 
okay? The average rate of return that we like to use in scenarios like this, maybe I shouldn't say we, Dane, but I like 8%. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Although you may see articles in the now and not too distant future that say you should expect less in the future, but let's just use eight. You know what's weird is it, it, that's a different topic, which I actually would like to talk about at some point, uh, remind me, uh, because uh, the current returns have it trending much higher than that, mm-hmm. much higher than that. But anyway, 8%. So how many times conceivably in this person's adult life can their money double um, by getting 8%? So we do is you go 72 divided by eight. And of course we know the answer is nine. Uh, it takes nine years to double their money. How many doubling periods does this person have in their life? Well, uh, I would say at least five. I would say they at least have 45 years to invest their money. Do you believe, Do you agree with that? Yep. Math checks out. Okay. So this is the fun part. 25000 turns into $50,000 in about nine years. Okay. 50 turns into 100 after another nine years. 100 turns into 200. 200 turns into 400. 400 turns into 800 after the final doubling period. So what we're suggesting is if you play your cards right, and actually you don't even have to be that right. We're talking about average rates of return here. We're not talking about, I was the first investor in uh, IBM. No, you don't have to do that. You just have to be average. And that $25,000 bequeathment, is is a bequeathment something? Yes. Okay. Turns into $800,000 per daughter. Did she have two daughters? Two. Yes, two daughters. That's $1.6 million. Yeah, they're going to really appreciate that when it comes time to retire. Okay, so I'm going to stop being an old man for a second, but only like 30 seconds. Would it make any sense to like go like twenty thousand in something standard like an index fund, and then the other five thousand dollars in something wild like crypto? I doubt that they're gonna within the trust they're gonna have the ability to do that, but maybe they will. I mean, they could. I... Forty-five years of crypto just seems stupid, though. If I'm being honest, that's I just I have no concept of what that's going to be. If you listen to one camp, they're, they're going to say you're going to be a quadrillionaire by the time. You get ready to retire if you put money into um, any kind of crypto. But, I mean, goodness, I, I kind of would be a little bit more conservative and, and stick with uh, uh, the waters you're familiar with. Yeah, if you think that, like, you have an $800,000 head start on your on your retirement, that, that's really kind of nice. Yeah, you've got plenty of time to uh, do some stuff that interests you with, with your investment money going forward. Use this as the backstop. Don't, I mean, don't get crazy with it. Just go with it. Uh, let it grow, let it do its work. And then, uh, use your own money to, to experiment a little bit with, uh, the, uh, chip Maxwell lifetime listener award, uh, Jameson, uh, who is following along right now on our Facebook live stream, uh, just noted that you got to make sure you don't lose that crypto key in that 45 year period. And boy, is that not true? Yeah. What I would also say is that you, you may have to be very conscious of uh, the prudent man rule for investing these funds. So uh, make sure you're not going to invest it in anything or somebody else isn't going to invest it in something that uh, one of the kids may look at down the road and say, why in the world did you do that? And I think I might sue. I think you meant the prudent person rule. Coming up after the break. 
a question about a terrible 401k at work. Should it change your strategy? All that is next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. We do got to get through this. I've got important stuff. Of course you do. You're an important person. I don't know about that. Uh, I feel like we'd cut down on the number of stories we were telling between segments. Until the, today? Until today. I mean, if, if you have a favorite restaurant up in the area of which you live, right? I do. And you know the people? Yes, I do. Okay. If you read that review about those people, would it infuriate you? I would be upset uh, and uh, a little heartbroken. I don't know if it would infuriate me. I wouldn't be looking to uh, you know, go curb stomp anybody. But uh, What if you don't sleep very well these days and drink too much coffee? I would be righteously angry. There we go. I just got to keep bending until you agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm leadable. I know what you're trying to get at. Yeah. I love it. All right. Uh, da, da, da. Here we go. Let's do the uh, next question, which is, yeah, I like that 401k no match high fees question. It's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see what you say. Uh, Jameson just note, Jameson's like part of the show today. You want to get in here, buddy? I assume you added your own amazing review to put balance back into the universe. You know, that's a great question. And of course it did. Um <laughs> But they don't need it. That's the most ridiculous thing. It's, you know, it's out of five stars and they have five stars. This was just such a stupid review. You could go in there and pose as a wait staff and say, here's our side of the story. I'll also note in talking to my friends in the restaurant business, uh, which explains why I I am still a little bit husky. um, I've had several restaurant friends say like, you know, there's a lot of momentum to want them to leave the industry simply based on the attitude of the diner these days mm. and it is it is ugly and in i guess to be fair and to be somewhat empathetic people have been through a lot it, it's almost like the the flyer the people who are freaking out punching flight attendants it's the same vibe right i, I get we're sort of feeling like caged animals and i feel like uh, certainly people are not feeling respected in some way shape or form but the discourse continues to get uglier yeah i think you're going to see a lot of folks in customer facing jobs and roles are going to start pulling the ripcord and saying i'm out you know we will uh we have a friend co-worker who has a friend who uh mm. started up a uh a therapy service for flight attendants mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and we want to have her on to talk about it we were talking about it the other day and we said we're gonna have her on we, we got to have her on i also have to know and i got to get back to joe from Stacking Gen- Benjamins, Joe uh, Saul Sihai uh, has a new book coming out. Mm. Uh, so we're going to have him on the show in the coming weeks. I just Sweet. have not emailed him back. So Joe, I know you're not listening to the show, <laughs> but if you were, I promise you I'm emailing you back. Uh, new book coming out through Penguin. And you know what? We're going to have him on, but let's go ahead and talk about it. Uh, it's called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. It's coming out December 28th. Uh, I will absolutely have him on the show. I just have to return his email. Did you get an advanced copy? Uh, he said he's going to send me one. I just haven't answered his email. It would probably be best if we each got one so we could ask intelligent questions. Um, I'm not interested in intelligent <laughs> questions. Uh, man, Joe, if, if you guys don't listen to Stacking Benjamin, you should. Uh, Joe is uh, sort of an OG of what we do, and we appreciate him. And plus, he's an, another bald guy that looks yeah. exactly like us. Good times. All right. Uh, here we go. You ready? Three, yeah. two, 
back on the Pete the Planner show. Uh, all right, Dame, we got another question coming in. It says, Peter, oh my gosh, my wife email? Maybe. Uh, people ask me all the time, should they call me Pete or Peter? And I say I don't care. But anytime someone chooses Peter, it's jarring. But I don't care. But it, it is like... It doesn't happen very often, though, does it? Um, it's just random. Like, here's the weird thing. Like, I don't mind Pete. I, I actually like Pete. But I don't like when people call me Pete Dunn. It drives me insane. I don't like the syncopation. I just don't like the sound. I think you told me that with one of the first couple times we met. Really? Yeah. That's a weird thing to lead with. <laughs> That's what I thought. I, right. Uh, anyway, uh, Peter. Hi, sir. I hope you are well. Question. 32 years old, married, filing jointly, no children. Oh, man, that must be nice. I mean, cool. 2021 gross income will be about 205000 American dollars. In 2021, we did the following. We maxed out both 401ks pre-tax. Oh my gosh. Uh, sorry. I just, I just, I just got distracted. Rick, I know this makes for bad radio, but like we stream this. And so I, I, I love you radio listener, but there's something really live happening between Rick and I right now. Rick uh, notes on a page. So not a fan of Peter, the planner Dame. I've ever told you the Peter, the planner story. No. So when I began the Pete, the planner brand, and that sounds gross, does that not sound just like real too much yeah in 2005 it was not it was just like a nickname was a blog but then i started talking to some they're like hey you need to like consider intellectual property as it relates to this and someone okay so you you do what's called a knockout search to some degree you say well hey does anyone else use this or this or that and no one used pete the planner but soon thereafter a, a man out in california began using peter the planner it was trying to do a similar thing. And so there was there was this Asian man in California going by Peter the Planner. There's this bald-looking Midwesterner named Pete the Planner. And so there was like this, this, this moment in time in which it was like, what's going to happen next? And we all know what happens next. No one's ever heard of Peter the Planner. But uh, that's why I don't go by Peter the Planner. Because it's probably copyright infringement. Somebody else took it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, why? Uh, so continuing on, maxed out both 401ks, pre-tax 401ks, maxed out both Roth IRAs. Um, wife has access to HSA that we maxed out. We put about $20,000 into our brokerage account. Oh, man, I'm loving this, Dave. My wife's 401k is great. Good match. Low fees, index funds. Ah, the, the, the triumph the three musketeers. There you go. Good match, low fees, and index funds. My employer 401k... It was pretty bad. No match and high fees currently in a target date fund with a 1.55% expense ratio. And it's up 12% year to date. Uh, another fund, which I'm interested in, is at about 22% year to date as I type. My 401k does not offer any low cost index funds. And the 1.55% is the lowest expense ratio available. So my question for 2022, do I max my 401k out or do I just invest in a taxable brokerage account? We will max out my wife's 401k, HSA, and both Roth IRAs. Is the tax advantage in my 401k worth it for the fees and to underperform the market? Oh, I appreciate it. Stay getting money, Eric. Okay. 
Man, I have I have conflicting thoughts. If I'm being honest, what do you think? Uh, I am somewhat conflicted, but I think there is a very reasonable answer going forward. Okay, what is it? We'll get to that in the next segment. No, no, wait, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> was that you stalling? No. Okay. No. Uh, first of all, power percentage. Oh, this guy's got a good one. Oh yeah, he does have a great power percentage. Um, so what we've got here, there's a little bit more information that was provided to Pete and I that we're not going to share uh, across the, the the airwaves or the internet waves or whatever. Uh, <laughs> You're definitely stalling. No. Uh, what we know is they've got a nice little nest egg, 401k. They're building up some other um, balances in, in other qualified accounts, brokerage accounts well on its way. And they're 32 years old. I think if they can stay on this track and kids are not in their future, he absolutely contributes to a brokerage account instead of his 401k to bridge an early retirement for the two of them. Okay. Okay. This is interesting. Can I be, can we be count uh, point counterpoint? Sure. There's other ways this problem can be solved. There really is. Um, by the way, I like your solution. I, I don't disagree with your solution. I would just like to offer a different point. Um, what if he goes to his employer and is like, hey, I like working here a lot. A lot of us do. We like the free cheese in the break room. I don't know. You know, you got to make some stuff. I got to butter them up. The old sure. uh, S sandwich, if you will. Uh, and then you, you say, but something problematic here. Like if I went and worked or a competitor, or someone down the street or like this would be the impact from a from the end game of my retirement account. This was just normal stuff. And I'm not making these numbers up. This is true. I pay 1% or more with an underperforming situation and you're not even matching. So I'm not asking for a match necessarily, but what I am asking for potentially is for you to make a different decision with who our retirement plan is through. Now, Dame, I am a, uh, a breaking character there. I, I, I am a, uh, an employer. I don't know if you know this. Yes, I do know that. Okay. And uh, while maybe I can't increase the match, it is conceivable that you find a better option for your people to invest in. That That's just a, a, several hours of work, but it is, it is worth it if it keeps people happy. Absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, the investment committee should be looking at all the options that are available to them. And what I think is probably occurring is well, the company wants the employees to foot a bunch of the expenses uh, on this. And so the, they're capturing some of that inside of the fee charges as well, or the uh, investment charges as well. So there may be an, an, a solution. And the other thing I think about, he's 32 years old. I am much more concerned with maintaining the habit of saving at this point, whether it's in a 401k or a brokerage account, because the likelihood of him staying with this company for the rest of his career, probably pretty small. But as long as he's got that built into his savings, he goes to that next job. They've got a great 401k. No problem. He just great point. Puts, it, puts it into the 401k. Great point. Now, uh, Eric, email us back and tell us who you work for and how big the company <laughs> is. Not because we don't do that. I mean, we don't sell for that. I want to know because I'm curious because here's what's possible. You work for a really small company and mm -hmm. they don't have the leverage. They can't buy mm -hmm. in bulk, so to speak. And so you get bad fees. Dame, if we're, if we're being transparent here, uh, we had a somewhat high-priced mm -hmm. uh, 401k within the last few years, and we have made a change to a lower-priced 401k, a lower expense ratio 401k. Mm -hmm. And what do we have, 12, 13 people right now? Yeah. So uh, it's possible. This is so interesting. Uh, 
This is why if someone says, oh, we have a 401k, it, it, does, it tells you nothing, right? I mean, as an employer, if an employer says, ah, oh, we got a 401k, okay, what's the match? Mm-hmm. What's the fee? What, 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 what are the investment performance? That's what matters. His wife, clearly, uh, the employer has thought of this. Now, I, I get it. As a business owner, I got so many things I got to deal with. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, there's a lot to deal with. And so you got to figure out what to focus on. But in this time of the great resignation, if you're not focused on helping people maximize their financial future, well, get ready for posting some job listings because uh, that's what's going to happen. I'm not threatening because I, I, you know, I don't work for you. And by you, I mean this sort of made up person I'm speaking to right now. Right, Dame? Yeah, I, this could be a deal breaker for a lot of people. I, I wrote a column. God, man, I'm terrible at time. A couple of years ago, I had a buddy who was choosing between two jobs. Like, true story. We were at a bar, of course. That's that's not that unbelievable. And we're talking, uh, and, and he was like, yeah, the one match is this, and the other match is that. Dame. It was like a 10% match and a 1% match. He's like, really? I'm on the fence about these jobs. I'm like, what's wrong with you? It was like, it was wild. Anyway, coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week. And this is a classic. This week's biggest waste of money of the week. I feel like one of the other versions of this has been the biggest waste of money of the week and sometime in the last 12 years. You'll hear what it is next right here on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. My mouth stopped working those last 15 seconds. I, I was flubbing words. You got through it. I mean, you can't. I, I'm. I look. I'm as an employer. I 100% make mistakes. I 100% miss opportunities to make this place a, a better place to work. Uh, and sometimes I view what someone thinks makes a place better differently than they do. So therefore, I do not invest time, energy, or money into fixing it. Honestly. But this one seems like it's really going to hurt that employer if they don't figure this out. Oh, it certainly could. I, I do want to give the benefit of the doubt, though. It, it could be a small company and the owner is just not uh, inclined in this area. Might have been sold a 401k from, from totally. somebody and said, hey, this is how we can minimize your costs on that side. And this was the package that they were they were presented with. And he thought, yeah, it sounds great. Or she said, sounds great. Put the name on the line and, hey, we've got a 401k now. Fantastic. To your point that you made earlier, maybe the best course of action is just having a very candid conversation totally. saying, listen, this is, uh, this is where we're at. This is what we're facing. And it's not great. And you're going to end up losing some people if if uh, if things don't change, or you know, disincentivizing them to come work for you in the first place. I, I yeah, exactly. It, this is not adversarial, right? You're not saying your your boss is a terrible person. You're no. not saying that they they don't care about you. You're saying it is not on their radar for whatever reason, which is why I want Eric and go to to maybe have a, a reasonable conversation about that, because you know, arguably five years ago, seriously, ten years ago this is what it was and there's no way to fix it. There's just been change in the industry and you can get a much less expensive retirement plan for even smaller companies. So, um, yeah, you know, the other weird thing is now nah, we won't get that. It's a little too inside baseball. Never mind. Okay. I almost got weird. You must heard the story of two plan Tony. Oh, 
you don't want to know. Uh, I get you know I got to see friend of the show Phil Schumann this week. Phil, gosh, Phil's I miss the best. Phil. Phil's the best. Friend of the show, uh, what he's the executive director of financial wellness at Indiana University. His his title needs two business cards. He's the best. He says hello. I'm sure. He does. I mean, he doesn't care enough to actually reach out to you to say no. hello, but he told me hello. Hasn't to texted tell. me in forever. I no, feel that's how he is. Okay, let's do the show. Okay, big. Uh, I gotta go. I got a lot of important things that are more important than all of you. Okay, here we go. In three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, right here on the Pete the Planner Show, is the Caviar 2G iPhone 13 Pro. For its new limited edition iPhone 13 Pro, Caviar is going back to the beginning. The design is a tribute to the very first iPhone 2G from 2007, featuring an aviation titanium case with a fragment from the OG motherboard in the center of the Apple logo. It's engraved with a circuit board motif, and at the bottom, a black PVD coating is laser etched with founder Steve Jobs' signature. To accompany its release, Caviar has also created a nickel-plated brass and silver alloy bust of Steve Jobs. The 8-inch tall piece depicts the visionary with a double gold-plated Apple logo placed on his chest like a pulsating heart. It's mounted in a marble stand and limited to 999 examples. The Caviar 2G iPhone 13 Pro is limited to just 19 pieces. Dame, how much do you think the Caviar 2G iPhone 13 Pro costs? How much do you think they had to pay for licensing to be able to use Steve Jobs' signature? I had a professor in college named Steve Job. Really? And so every time I see Steve Jobs, I, I read Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. and I have to tell my mouth to say something different. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs was a professor, an English professor at Hanover College, a liberal arts school in Southern Indiana, which school. And he had a way when he would be lecturing, as he would try to find his words, he would close his eyes lightly, just like lower his lids as he's trying to, to really summon the words. Mm -hmm. I once slipped out of the classroom while his eyes were closed, <laughs> undetected. True story. <laughs> How much do you think that costs? Uh, let's see, Pro, $3,000. $6,990. And the sad part about it is, and we all know this to be true, the second the iPhone 14 comes out, all of a sudden the battery life starts to struggle. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. Dane, what's in the news this week? Pete, have you ever wondered how your income stacks up against your neighbors? Yes, actually I have. Okay. Maybe um, I shouldn't admit to that, but I absolutely have. New data analysis by GoBankingRates shows how much you need to make to be considered rich in 50 U.S. cities. Okay. The site used U.S. Census Bureau income data to determine the salary household needs oh. to earn to be in the city's top 20% of earners, which is what they define as rich. So did you, you did look up Indianapolis, didn't you? Of course I did. Okay. Let's, how much money? So it's income or is it assets? Income. Which actually begs the other question. Like, what do you consider to be wealthy, having a lot of money uh, via income or having a lot of income, uh, or pardon me, uh, assets, right? Money via assets. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so give us Indianapolis. Uh, you don't want to play a guessing game here? Oh yeah, I do want to play a guessing game. Okay. So I'm guessing the the what's the how much 20, more? Twenty percent. So that very first salary to creep into the top twenty percent. 
Okay, the the top twenty percent of yes. where you live. Indianapolis, Indiana. One hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Ninety-seven two fifty-seven. I mean, I, I don't want to flex on it. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good to go. Top five percent. Okay. Top five percent. Four fifty. Three twenty-five. Oh, I was gonna guess three twenty-five. Well, you should have. Hey, do you have Dallas pulled up by any chance? I don't. I, the, this was all copied and pasted into a doc for me. Okay, what's the name of the survey again? So James is going to look it up. It's an analysis by Go Banking Rates. You know what? Uh, how about I put it into the uh, thread on Facebook after we're finished? Awesome. What else is the news? Well, huge rent increases are hitting tenants across the U.S. Who saw that coming? <laughs> including a handful of areas, among them Phoenix, Tampa, Boise, Idaho, where the median jumped nearly 20% in the last year, according to analysis conducted by the Urban Institute. Pete, 20%. Are you surprised by this? No. 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 Not at all. Uh, I actually buy our conversation last week as, as one of the reasons why. And what last week we talked about how the student loan relief ends here in the next couple months. And the idea that that, in, in an interesting way, stoked the economy, that, that it, it, it allowed people to go get more and better and, and all those sorts of things, uh, you got to think that idea bled into housing. Like People were putting more money into their mortgage payments or rent payments. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I 100% buy that. And I would also note that it's going to get worse because of the eviction moratorium. But yeah, I buy that. Yeah. Americans are applying for credit cards at a rate not seen since before the pandemic. Close to 27% of U.S. consumers said in October alone that they had applied for a new credit card. In the wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Wait. In October, in the past 12 months. Some from okay. October. It's bad copy. What? Bad copy. Wait, okay. I would also, wait. That's, okay, that's not as bad as what the copy indicated, but 27%. In the last 12 months, a quarter of Americans have applied for a credit card in the last year. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, that is correct. Okay. Dame, we're going to do it. I want, have you applied for a credit card in the last 12 months from October backwards? No. Neither have I. Okay. So there's 50% of people who have not. The story is completely false based on if, our very small sample. Facebook Live, let us know right now. We're just taking the first four people because this is how scientific surveys work, right, Dame? Uh, totally. Have you applied for a credit card from October of 2021 back to, I guess, what was uh, September of 20, November, whatever, a year back? Yeah. Nope. Nope for Jameson. So there is 75% have not. The next person that weighs in, Rick says no. Stupid survey. We Stupid. win. Government doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't think this is how this works. I think it is now for our show. Okay. Oh, Daniel says no as well. So look, now that's that's 500%. <laughs> that's, that's amazing math. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Friday. I run out of math on Wednesday nights. Everyone yeah, knows that's this. That's fair. Uh, Swiss watchmaker Patek Philippe is releasing 170 limited edition versions of its famous Nautilus reference 5711. In partnership with Tiffany, it's retailing for a cool $52,635 if you can get your hands on one. If you do, you could resell it for more next year. Uh, it'll be retiring. Patek Philippe will be retiring that watch uh, at the end of next year. Pete, is this a biggest waste of money candidate? 
I almost chose it this week. I saw that story earlier this week and almost was there. I will note this though, that I, 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 I get into weird internet rabbit holes, especially on YouTube. I got into uh, a state watch repair, like fine mm-hmm. pieces that have been like run mm-hmm. over by cars. And then like watchmakers, they have these micro cameras and they show you like a 45 minute video of how they repair it. Uh, Dame, I, 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 I told you at one point in time I was a watch guy, but it was more of a status thing at that stage of my life, not about the mechanics of it all. But watching these videos, whoa, yeah. whoa, mind-blowing. Like 100-year-old watches that are unbelievable. I saw somebody do a, a Zippo uh, rest- restoration on YouTube, and you wouldn't think it would be anything all that interesting about it. But the way it was shot and what they did, it was amazing. My current YouTube obsession is a musician. His nickname is Loop Daddy. Sounds intriguing. Look it up. It, it will blow your mind. It gets mildly inappropriate, so there's your warning. Don't show around your kids. Uh, it is one of the most impressive uh, artistic acts I've ever seen in my life. Loop Daddy. Look it up. Watch it. Consume it. Freak out about it. Quick story? Yeah. Uh, just one week after President <laughs> Biden tapped. It'd be two weeks now because this was a story from last week. Tapped into oil reserves to help the global shortage. A Canadian group has announced it will dip into its emergency supply of Maple syrup to try and keep up with global demand, according to multiple reports. Pete, we are on the verge of a maple syrup shortage. Are you saying the supply was tapped? Yes. That's exactly where I was going with that. Did I steal your joke? No, that's fine. It was hanging out there waiting to be used. Sticky situation, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time to leave. Um, Dane, we're doing, what's the show scheduled for the holiday? Like we're doing shows uh, Christmas week. We're going to have a show, but we're going to, it's not going to be live uh, streamed. Uh, same with new year's week. Like we're, we'll figure it out. Everyone will be fine. Stay tuned. Awesome. Okay, everybody. Thanks for being here this week. If you have questions, emails, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Uh, always follow 10 a.m. Eastern YouTube live, Facebook live, Twitter live, send you good vibes. Good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the Pete the Planner show. I started the outro. Oh, I have an update. You do? I have an update. On what? Whether I'm getting fired. What? From doing ads. <gasps> That's right. I don't know if I'm supposed to share any of this. I might still be getting fired. The recommendation <laughs> is that I'm not getting fired, but they don't have to. No one has to accept the recommendation to keep me. Uh, so, you know, I do commercials for... Uh, college savings. Why? Because well, I want you to save your kids' college education. I don't want them to have student loan debt. Yeah, Rick, this was supposed to be done live, but then I got scared that if I asked the... I was only going to have it done live if I was getting fired, Rick. Right? Dame, isn't that what I said? No, I thought we were going to read the results. Oh, I, I tried to yeah, convince you, you know to let me read right. them to you. Yeah. I didn't want to put my guy in that spot. But anyway, um, what was interesting... I, I mean, I don't know if I should do that. Now I really am... <laughs> Okay, I'll I'll just, I'll be as vague as I can. First of all, they they ask, um, do you have a positive view of Pete the Planner, neutral or negative? Mm-hmm. I don't know what's good. I, I really don't know what's good. All I think about is like presidential approval ratings. Right. Okay. I will just say this. I actually I don't know the highest uh, presidential approval rating of all time. I feel like I should look it up. Let's look it up. It's got to be Reagan and. That second election. I mean, he won 49 states. Uh, 
Oh, here it is. Okay, here we go. Uh, Johnson, 78%. Really? Kennedy, 72%. Okay, Camelot. That's okay. Oh, wait, no, this is... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I, I did it wrong. I, I went the wrong okay. route. I went the wrong route. Okay, big, big surprise. I was wrong. Okay, let's read this round. Okay, here we go. People love this show, don't they? Yeah, it's it's what people tune into the podcast for. Highest approval order. Oh, man, this graph stinks. What's happening? Why does it only go from... I can't even read it. Just stupid. It's a good time. Oh, let's just go back like the last 10 and see like what their highest approval was. Biden's highest approval rating was 57. Okay. Trump's 49. Okay. Obama, 67. Uh, W, 90. Wow. That's probably right after September 11th. Right after, yeah. It actually was. It was 10 days after September 11th. That was going to be my guess. Um, Clinton, 73. Uh, HW, 89. Regan, I'm sorry, 74. Really? Yeah, you were wrong. Huh? Carter, 74. Oh. Ford, 73. Nixon, 66. Johnson, 79. Kennedy, 83. Eisenhower, 81. Truman, 87. FDR, 83. Okay, so the winner there was W right after September 11th. And I'm not dismissive of that because I, I remember watching him stand on the rubble. And he's just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then throwing out the first pitch and strike. Oh, right in was, the middle. Like I was riding a bald eagle that night. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> my approval. <laughs> my <laughs> I try to keep it straight. Sometimes I can't. Um, my approval rating was really high. Uh, it, it was high. It was really high. I don't want to give it because I'll tell you later. But it was uh, higher than Clinton's, higher than Obama's, higher than Biden's, higher than Reagan's, and higher than Carter's. Congratulations. So that was good. Yeah. Um, whatever. The other thing they asked, and this is where I've got to watch it. They they just asked generally before they asked that question. They said, "Who is the spokesperson for this?" You know, just general awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, we put this out here. Do you know what's going on? So people guessed me, right? Guessed me. People were asked. That's good. That's good awareness. It worked. The other guesses on the list, though, were wild. Was it a multiple choice quiz? No, they just had to say. They just oh. had to say who okay. it was. It was just like fill in the blank. It was, a, it was a voice survey, I think, or something. Dude, I'll send it to you because it's crazy. <laughs> Mrs. Planner was laughing. I can hardly wait. Laughing. Okay, that's it. I feel like I've I've given some given some to the people today. You did a nice job. It was admirable. Dame, I hope you find love and peace in your life. I'm just I have to edit this stupid thing. I'm just trying to find a, a couple bucks to give to my son for his tooth that he lost. Oh, oh, how'd that go? Uh, it went well. It was fine. Uh, he got some ice cream after the fact, and everything was good. But uh, it looks like a, a little uh, basilisk tooth. That's a Harry Potter reference for those a of you. Basilisk? Yeah. Nerd alert. All right, Dame. Tell uh, TD I said hello, and uh, I feel like I should send him money for that. You're a little kid. You have a tooth extracted. I mean, that the tooth fairy better roll up in a Bentley. That that hurts. Probably not. I don't know. We're up in northern, northeastern Indiana. It's more likely to be like a really nice truck. John Deere. So you good vibes. Wait, I already said that. Um, oh, stay getting money. <laughs>